0: Welcome everyone to another O. Henry episode at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This one, another one of O. Henry's picturesque stories of New York City in the early 1900s. You can easily picture the Irish cops on the beat, the street lights, the alleyways, and find out who strays uptown or downtown according to their lights. And now and now our story, According to Their Lights by O. Henry. I'm down and out, but I'm no traitor to a man that's been my friend. The captain's voice rose and boomed like a split trombone. Get out of this park, Charlie Finnegan, where us thieves and tramps and boozers are your betters, and take your dirty money with you. Somewhere in the depths of the big city, where the unquiet dregs are forever being shaken together, young Murray and the captain had met and become friends. Both were at the lowest ebb possible to their fortunes. Both had fallen from at least an intermediate heaven of respectability and importance. And both were typical products of the monstrous and peculiar social curriculum of their overweening and bumptious civic alma mater. The captain was no longer a captain. One of those sudden moral cataclysms that sometimes sweep the city had hurled him from a high and profitable position in the police department, ripping off his badge and buttons and washing into the hands of his lawyers the solid pieces of real estate that his frugality had enabled him to accumulate. The passing of the flood left him low and dry. One month after his disabilitation, a saloon keeper plucked him by the neck from his free lunch counter as a tabby plucks a strange kitten from her nest and cast him asphaltward. This seems low enough. But after that he acquired a pair of cloth top button-Congress gaiters and wrote complaining letters to the newspapers. And then he fought the attendant at the municipal lodging house who tried to give him a bath. When Murray first saw him, he was holding the hand of an Italian woman who sold apples and garlic on Essex Street and quoting the words of a songbook ballad. Murray's fall had been more than luciferian, if less spectacular. "'All the pretty, tiny little kickshaws of Gotham had once been his. "'The megaphone man roars out at you to observe the house of his uncle "'on a grand and revered avenue. "'But there had been an awful row about something, "'and the prince had been escorted to the door by the butler, "'which, in said avenue, is equivalent to the impact of an avuncular shoe. "'A weak prince, Hal, without inheritance or sword,' he drifted downward to meet his humorless Falstaff, and to pick the crusts of the streets with him. One evening they sat on a bench in a little downtown park. The great bulk of the captain, which starvation seemed to increase, drawing irony instead of pity to his petitions for aid, was heaped against the arm of a bench in a shapeless mass. His red face, spotted by tufts of vermilion, weak old whiskers, and topped by a sagging white straw hat, Looked, in the gloom, like one of those structures you might observe in a dark Third Avenue window, challenging your imagination to say whether it be something recent in the way of ladies' hats or a strawberry shortcake. A tight-drawn belt, last relic of his official spruceness, made a deep furrow in his circumference. The captain's shoes were buttonless. In a smothered base he cursed his star of ill luck. "'Murray, at his side, was shrunk into his dingy and ragged suit of blue serge. "'His hat was pulled low. "'He sat quiet and a little indistinct, "'like some ghost that had been dispossessed. "'I'm hungry,' growled the captain. "'By the top sirloin of the Bull of Bashan, I'm starving to death. "'Right now I can eat a Bowery restaurant "'clear through to the stovepipe in the alley.' "'Can't you think of nothing, Murray? "'You sit there with your shoulders scrunched up, "'giving an imitation of Reginald Vanderbilt "'driving his coach. "'What good are the mares doing you now? "'Think of some place we can get something to chew.' "'You forget, my dear captain,' said Murray, without moving, "'that our last attempt at dining was at my suggestion.' "'Yeah, you bet it was,' groaned the captain. You bet your life it was. Have you got any more like that to make? Eh? I admit we failed, sighed Murray. I was sure Malone would be good for one more free lunch after the way he talked baseball with me the last time I spent a nickel in his establishment. I had this hand, said the captain, extending the unfortunate member. I had this hand on the drumstick of a turkey and two sardine sandwiches when them waiters grabbed us. I was within two inches of the olives, said Murray. Stuffed olives! Oh, I haven't tasted one in a year. What'll we do? grumbled the captain. We can't starve. Can't we? said Murray quietly. I'm glad to hear that. I was afraid we were starving. You wait here, said the captain, rising huffily and puffily to his feet. I'm going to try to make one more turn. You stay here till I come back, Murray. I won't be over half an hour. If I turn the trick, I'll come back flush. He made some elephantine attempts at smartening his appearance. He gave his fiery mustache a heavenward twist. He dragged into sight a pair of black-edged cuffs, deepened the crease in his middle by tightening his belt another hole, and set off, jaunty as a zoo rhinoceros. "'across the south end of the park. "'When he was out of sight, "'Murray also left the park, "'hurrying swiftly eastward. "'He stopped at a building "'whose steps were flanked by two green lights. "'A police captain named Maroney,' "'he said to the desk sergeant, "'was dismissed from the force "'after being tried under charges three years ago. "'I believe sentence was suspended. "'Is this man wanted now by the police?' "'Why are you asking?' inquired the sergeant, with a frown. "'I thought there might be a reward standing,' explained Murray, easily. "'I know the man well. He seems to be keeping himself pretty shady at present. I could lay my hands on him at any time. If there should be a reward—' "'There's no reward,' interrupted the sergeant, shortly. "'The man's not wanted. And neither are you. So get out!' "'You're friendly with him, and you'd be selling him out. "'Out with you quick, or I'll give you a start.' "'Murray gazed at the officer with serene and virtuous dignity. "'I would be simply doing my duty as a citizen and a gentleman,' he said, severely, "'if I could assist the law in laying hold of one of its offenders.' "'Murray hurried back to the bench in the park. He folded his arms and shrank within his clothes to a ghost-like presentment. Ten minutes afterward, the captain arrived at the rendezvous, windy and thunderous as a dog day in Kansas. His collar had been torn away, his straw hat had been twisted and battered, his shirt with ox-blood stripes split to the waist, and from head to knee he was drenched with some vile and ignoble, greasy fluid that loudly proclaimed to the nose its component leaven of garlic and (laughs) kitchen-stuff. "'For heaven's sake, Captain,' sniffed Murray, "'I doubt that I would have waited for you "'had I suspected you were so desperate as to resort to swill-barrels.' "'Cheese it,' said the Captain, harshly. "'I'm not hogging it yet. "'It's all on the outside. "'I went around on Essex and proposed marriage "'to that Katrina that's got the fruit shop there.' Now that business could be built up. She's a peach as far as a dago could be. I thought I had that Cenerina mass sure last week. But look what she's done to me. I guess I got too fresh. Well, there's another skein queered. You don't mean to say, said Murray, with infinite contempt, that you would have married that woman to help yourself out of your disgraceful troubles? Me? said the captain. I'd marry the Empress of China for one bowl of chop suey. I'd commit murder for a plate of beef stew. I'd steal a wafer from a waif. I'd be a Mormon for a bowl of chowder. (sighs) I think, said Murray, resting his head on his hands, that I'd play Judas for the price of one drink of whiskey. For thirty pieces of silver, I would, oh, come now, exclaimed the captain in dismay. You wouldn't do that, Murray. I always thought that kike squeal on his boss was about the lowest downplay that ever happened. A man that gives his friend away is worse than a pirate. Through the park stepped a large man scanning the benches where the electric light fell. Is that you, Mac? he said, halting before the derelicts. His diamond stick pin dazzled. His diamond-studded bob-chain assisted that dazzle. He was big and smooth and well-fed. "'Yeah, I see it's you,' he continued. "'They told me of Mike's that I might find you over here. "'Let me see you a few minutes, Mac.' The captain lifted himself with a grunt of alacrity. "'If Charlie Finnegan had come down in the bottomless pit to seek him, "'there must be something doing.' Charlie guided him by an arm, into a patch of shadow. You know, Mac, he said, they're trying Inspector Pickering on graft charges. Yeah, he was my inspector, said the captain. O'Shea wants the job, went on Finnegan. He must have it. It's for the good of the organization. Pickering must go under. Your testimony will do it. He was your man higher up. When you were on the force, his share of the boodle passed through your hands. You must go on the stand and testify against him. He was, began the captain. Wait a minute, said Finnegan. A bundle of yellowish stuff came out of his inside pocket. Five hundred dollars in it for you. Two fifty on the spot, and the rest... He was my friend, I say, finished the captain. I'll see you and the gang and the city and the party in the flames of Hades before I'll take a stand against Dan Pickering. I'm down and out, but I'm no traitor to a man that's been my friend. The captain's voice rose and boomed like a split trombone. Now get out of this park, Charlie Finnegan, where us thieves and tramps and boozers are your betters. and take your dirty money with you. Finnegan drifted out by another walk. The captain returned to his seat. "'I couldn't avoid hearing,' said Murray, drearily. "'I think you're the biggest fool I ever saw.' "'What would you have done?' asked the captain. "'Nailed Pickering to the cross,' said Murray. "'Sonny,' said the captain, huskily and without heat. You and me are different. New York is divided into two parts, above 42nd Street and below 14th. You come from the other part. We both act according to our lights. An illuminated clock above the trees retailed the information that it lacked the half hour of twelve. Both men rose from the bench, and moved away together as if seized by the same idea. They left the park, struck through a narrow cross-street, and came into Broadway, at this hour as dark, echoing, and deep peopled as a byway in Pompeii. Northward they turned, and a policeman who glanced at their unkempt and slinking figures withheld the attention and suspicion that he would have granted them at any other hour and place. For on every street in that part of the city, other unkempt and slinking figures were shuffling and hurrying toward a converging point, a point that is marked by no monument save that groove on the pavement worn by ten thousands of waiting feet. At Ninth Street, a tall man wearing an opera hat alighted from a Broadway car and turned his face westward. But he saw Murray, he pounced upon him and dragged him under a streetlight. The captain lumbered slowly to the corner, like a wounded bear, and waited, growling. "'Jerry!' cried the tall man with the opera hat. "'How fortunate! I was to begin a search for you to-morrow. The old gentleman has capitulated. You are to be restored to favor. Congratulate you! Come to the office in the morning, and get all the money you want. I have liberal instructions in that respect.' "'And the little matrimonial arrangement?' said Murray, with his head turned sideways. "'Why, uh, well, of course, your uncle understands, expects, that the engagement between you and Miss Vanderhurst shall be—' "'Good-night,' said Murray, moving away. "'You madman!' cried the other, catching his arm. "'Would you give up two millions on account of—' Did you ever see her nose, old man? asked Murray solemnly, but listen to reason, Jerry Miss Vanderhurst is an heiress, yeah, but did you ever see it? Yeah, I'll admit that her nose isn't Good night, said Murray. My friend is waiting for me. I'm quoting him when I authorize you to report that there is nothing doing. Good night. A wriggling line of waiting men extended from a door in 10th Street, far up Broadway, on the outer edge of the pavement. The Captain and Murray fell in at the tail of the quivering millipede. Twenty feet longer than it was last night, said Murray, looking up at his measuring angle of Grace Church. Half an hour, growled the Captain, before we get our punk. The city clocks began to strike twelve the breadline moved forward slowly, its leathern feet sliding on the stones with the sound of a hissing serpent as they who had lived according to their lights closed up in the rear. Thanks for joining us at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. Here are some great reviews that have come recently. Thanks to all of you fans for listening, for your reviews, and for your support at Patreon. We've got two new shows for supporters at Patreon. The Best of 1001 Stories and Prime Cuts at patreon.com forward slash 1001 Network. Now here's those reviews I just promised. The first, Great Listening, 5 stars. I enjoy all the 1001 podcasts. Unfortunately, I can listen faster than you can record. Have you considered the short stories of P.C. Wren? He's the best known for his novel, Bo Jest but he wrote a lot of short stories as well, mostly about the colonial days of the French Foreign Legion. This might make a good addition to your repertoire. And that one's from John the Chicken Doctor, Apple Podcast, U.S. And no, John, I didn't know P.C. Wren. I did research him, and you're right, he's a fantastic writer. Right now, I can't find any of his short stories in the public domain. It doesn't mean they're not out there. It just means I haven't found them yet. So if you come across the link before I do, please email them to me at 1001 podcast at gmail.com. Sure, appreciate it. And I thank you very much for taking the time to send us that review. It's much appreciated. All reviews are greatly appreciated, and yours is as well. Thank you. And this one, five stars. Not overdone or overproduced. Good reader. Well-dictated. Great choice of stories. He's introduced me to many new favorite short story authors. One of my favorite story podcasts. Also gives a bit of insight into the author. But without opinions or carrying on and on. Love it. That's from WM084, Apple Podcast, US. And this one, Podcast Review, five stars. Thank you, Mr. Hagedorn, for mentioning my review. I hope your podcast flourishes, and I'm very grateful that you care about your content. I'll recommend this for all my friends. Also, it's wonderful to have someone appreciate such classic stories. That one from Podcast Review, Apple Podcast, US. And this one, Titled, Moth with the Crooked Feeler. Five stars. Superb. Loved it. Great show as ever. Thanks. That's from Market Pop, Apple Podcasts, US. And this one. Love it. Five stars. More than a way to kill time. It's so interesting. And that one from Onyx98, Apple Podcast, India. And this one, five stars. Fantastic storytelling. Thanks, John, for your dedication to bringing fantastic stories to life through your expert narration. I really enjoy your podcast. And look forward to each new episode. My only hope is that there will be more stories from female authors in the future. Fantastic job. Well done. That one, Airy from Oz, Apple Podcast, Australia. Thanks very, very much. Heartfelt to all of you out there who send those reviews. That's very nice of you to do. And we'll keep them coming. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.